Hey there, I'm John Hayes, and thanks for joining us for this episode of the Founders Trust Podcast. Today, we're discussing how new founders can approach the beginning of their startup journey. I spoke with Sherry Williams Franklin, the founder of Life Snapshot, an early stage digital estate planning startup right here in Chicago. Sherry and I discuss how she started her business, the resources she turned to for guidance as a first-time founder, the benefits of accelerator programs, and a whole lot more. So I'm really looking forward to sharing Sherry's insights with you. And stick around to the end of the episode for our free giveaway. Today, we'll be sharing a tech stack you can use to build and launch a product in less than a week without any code, which is perfect for my non-technical founders out there. So let's jump right in. Today's Startup Spotlight is brought to you by Savier. Savier takes a personalized approach to helping entrepreneurs create a clear path to growth through knowledge, coaching, and marketing services. Savier helps entrepreneurs and small business owners apply marketing to achieve their business goals. At Savier, our goal is to empower entrepreneurs to achieve marketing success. Check them out at Savier, that's SavvyEUR.com today. Hello, I'm Sherry, and I'm the founder of Life Snapshot. The reality is that our lives can change in an instant for a number of reasons, but the most startling truth is that every 11 seconds, someone dies in the US. My 11 second moment occurred in 2015 when my sister died suddenly at the age of 36 and finalizing her personal affairs became the responsibility of my mother and I. And we had so many questions. Is there life insurance to cover these funeral expenses? Where did she bank? How do we contact her landlord? And as an entrepreneur, how do we contact her employees? I found myself in her home just two days after she passed away, looking through her belongings, which feels like a complete invasion of privacy, while struggling to find the information that the funeral home was requesting of us with no success. I can recall randomly calling insurance companies to determine if they had a record of her as a policyholder, and everyone said no. It took us almost two years to unravel her affairs. Her lack of preparation and our uncertainty as to where to find her asset information is what directly contributes to the roughly $40 billion in unclaimed money and properties being held by the US government because beneficiaries are often unaware that these assets exist. With roughly 7.4 billion alone in unclaimed life insurance policies. Understanding this further validates the need for a proactive solution to support end-of-life planning, but more importantly, protect the financial legacy of families. The mission of Life Snapshot is to safeguard our members' personal assets through secure storage and proactive customer support. Our digital storage vault protects personal assets, final wishes, and critical documents so families can easily find them while dealing with a hospitalization or end of life. 
we aren't like any other solution in the market because our support specialists proactively conduct monthly well-being checks so that when the unexpected happens, they can relay information to those listed as designated contacts on our members' accounts. Throughout the pandemic, we had multiple members hospitalized. For those that had medical power of attorney or advanced directives on file, we were able to support their families by immediately sharing those documents with their designated contacts electronically, providing them instant access and the ability to make timely decisions. Our process is simple. Answer questions about your assets. Identify your designated contacts. Select your well-being check preferences, and in less than five minutes, you can complete onboarding. Life Snapshots platform consolidates assets such as banking details, pensions, 401k, properties, and vehicles into a single report that is encrypted and safely stored online without the need for social security numbers or account numbers. Our platform is desktop and mobile friendly with features such as a mobile document upload so you can add files on the go, as well as internal and external file sharing so you can share documents with loved ones inside and outside of the Life Snapshot system. Customers have communicated that it has taken them roughly 15 minutes to have a fully customized snapshot report to support positive end-of-life planning. Following my sister's death, I've spent the past five years passionately working to create a solution that puts families on the path to preparedness for the future. Thank you. Spotlight segment here with the Founders Trust Podcast. I am tremendously honored to be joined by a friend and a fellow founder, Sherry Williams Franklin, the founder of Life Snapshot. You just heard that terrific uh, demo and pitch video. Um, I've been very honored to know Sherry for, I guess, a little bit over a year now, right? I think it was when you you last went through the, the Founder Institute Accelerator Program and, and we were able to connect. And I'm so excited to have you on today to talk about uh, a really important topic in where founders get started. So thanks for joining us today, Sherry. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, it was just about a year ago that you helped me with all of my accounting documents. So thank you for that. Well, and certainly the accounting piece and figuring out the books and kind of, you know, financial statements, all that is is a big part and an overwhelming part for a lot of founders, right? As they're getting started and starting to put the infrastructure together for, for everything that, you know, is encompassed in, in building a, a company for the first time. So, you know, one thing you talk about in your your pitch video is the fact that your idea for life snapshot came from your own experience with estate planning and you know was there a certain moment when you realized out of that experience that you really wanted to take your idea and then turn it into a business and what did that process kind of look like for you yeah i know that's an excellent question so you know for me i never thought to monetize this experience but you know really went on a quest to find a solution for my family for the future you know my sister had mentioned to me in passing a few years prior that she had life insurance but i didn't ask any questions i was like most people and kind of said okay um because end of life planning is difficult to you know discuss and 
um, just kind of know what to do next. And so most people like to put their affairs in order privately and never really talk about it with anyone. So um, I started to look for solutions that would allow my family to be better prepared. And I just didn't find anything that would allow me to not only store documents, but have a human connection as part of the process. Well, it is such a difficult topic for family members, loved ones, et cetera, to address, right? And that's what I think is so special about Life Snapshot is it takes something that is so personal and, and feelings and, and moments that are so vulnerable and, you know, kind of transforms, you know, what it still has to necessarily be done as part of that, you know, process into something that's much more manageable for, you know, the, the people you're, you're leaving behind and your, your family and, and friends. So it's, you know, I, I give you a lot of credit for, wanting to approach what can be such a sensitive topic for a lot of people and turning it into something that makes their their grieving and their transition process you know a, a little bit easier right it, the emotional side will always be difficult but yeah. this piece which can be overwhelming especially you know with feelings of, of grief etc um you know th this what you guys are doing at life snapshot is, is so critical and i'm so excited to you know be able to share that with our listeners today so once you yeah, knew, once you knew that you wanted to start the business what was kind of the very first thing you did to get started or, or what resources did you look to? How did you approach really getting Life Snapshot off the ground? Well, that's a great question. I mean, for me, my background is almost 20 years in sales and marketing and research and development for mid to large size manufacturing companies across the country. And so I've spent much of my career taking projects from concept to commercialization. So, so the first step for me is always gonna be validation to make sure that, you know, what I believe to be the problem is a real problem. You know, I think that's the biggest mistake most founders make is not fully validating um, you know, the issue. And so for me, my aunt happens to own a funeral home here in Chicago and, you know, scheduled a meeting with her first to understand, is this a real struggle um, for families? And of course she said yes. Um, and then I started to network with others in the end of life planning space to understand their perspective um, on the, the issue and started to interview friends and family to understand if they had a perspective. And I think if you ask anyone that's lost a loved one, you'll immediately get a horror story about them trying to put their families, uh, put their loved ones' affairs in order and the struggle of finding the documents and the struggle of finding the information and the struggle of not knowing that they had these particular assets. And so um, that's when I knew, you know, it was time to move forward. That was the first step. You talked about validation, and it is such a key piece to the process that often gets overlooked, right? And, and not that, you know, people do it negligently or, you know, try to avoid the topic, but people get so excited about their business idea, right? They get so right. To jump into something, um, which is great. And you need that passion. You need that fire. You need that energy. But you have to have some, you know, some basis for the idea, right? In the right. validation piece. Um, is really, really difficult. And I, we'll get more into that a little bit, I think, when we, we start talking about accelerated programs and programs and some of the more structural resources that founders can can turn to for help with, you know, validation and those types of things. But, you know, when you first started, right, there's, we talk about that natural energy and, and passion and fire. You know, what were you most excited for in starting a business? And then yeah. 
what were your kind of greatest worries, right? Because every founder to some degree has that feeling that, you know, she or he is missing some kind of pieces to the puzzle, right? Whether it's expertise, whether it's connections, capital, whatever it is. And where did you feel like those gaps were for you um, as you were getting started out? Yeah. So for me, yeah, I was excited about the business, just knowing that I was going to be contributing to meaningful work and making a difference in the lives of other families, you know, but also thinking about it as a way to honor my sister's memory in a real way. Right. So Life Snapchat became a little bit of therapy for me. Um, I started out, I was very afraid to even talk about her. And I tried to detach myself from the company and my story from the company. Um, so my biggest fear was really opening myself up to be vulnerable, to be included. So I thought, you know, hey, I can start Life Snapshot and, um, you know, just put it out there and people will understand it, but not necessarily tell them the why behind it. Um, and that doesn't work. And so that was the thing that, you know, I was afraid of because it puts me in a vulnerable place. Um, and then how much do you share? How much do you not share? Um, and so those were the points that were scary for me. Um, but knowing that I am making a difference in the lives of other families so that hopefully they don't have to struggle the way that my family did, um, that is what brings excitement. That's what gets me out of bed every day. Um, knowing that we're helping families um, on a regular basis, that's where the energy comes from. Well, and you and it's such a common feeling among startup founders, not only in the fact that they're putting themselves out there with this brand new idea, right? There's, it's not an established company. They don't necessarily know where to start. Yeah. We're telling them they're crazy, right? Because yeah. this will never work. <laughs> and I think, you know, I think the why is the most important, you know, kind of driver behind overcoming those feelings of vulnerability. And, and especially in your case as well, when you're kind of going through that emotional grieving process, you probably felt extra vulnerable, right? And you touched on validation earlier. And I'm sure in a lot of ways, the vulnerability that you felt in your experience founding the company has probably led you to, you know, really find that validation in the market in some ways. And what I mean by that is your experience has allowed you to connect with your target customer who's feeling that same vulnerability, right? That's right. Absolutely. And I think that's really powerful. And in, in a lot of ways, what makes startups special in ways that, you know, larger corporations, you know, they don't quite have that feeling. It's not just kind of the fast, agile, you know, quick decision, quick progress type scenario. It's the fact that, at least in my perspective, there's a certain humanization of startups, right? And you're, it's very clear to early adopters and early customers that you're trying to attack some sort of mission or, you know, fulfill some sort of goal. And that vulnerability and that humanization make it so much more compelling for people to want to support you, right? And so- um, Yeah, no, you're absolutely right. And um, here's what I'll say is, you know, I initially launched the company um, in November, 2019, privately, right? So um, it was my birthday. I was having a big birthday bash downtown. I didn't tell anyone. I have been working on this for quite some time. Less than 10 people um, really knew what I was doing. 
Um, and this had been in the works for years. And so, you know, I've got this big birthday bash planned in November. I've got 70 of my closest friends. Um, we're doing dinner at Francesca's on Chestnut downtown in the wine cellar. And midway through dinner, um, we get up and I make an announcement and I show a video um, of that's now on our website. I show this promo video and um, the back end prototype of the platform and the room went crazy and it was exciting because i hadn't necessarily surveyed 70 people yet and so um it was just the, the amount of love and, and support from that small um you know group was helpful um but then as on the business side of that you know half the room signed up to beta test our solution um, and then the other half signed up to be on a small little wait list or not quite half, but a, a small little group signed up to wait list um, for when the product launched in um, March of 2020. And so when we went live day one, we had customers, right? We didn't have like everyone didn't sign up immediately, but we had a couple of sales day one. We were really excited about that. And so um, just like having some level of preparation and validation is what you need. That's what's going to give you the energy. That's the excitement. Those are the times that types of activities that are going to help propel you forward, right? Absolutely, and that's such a great story because you know you. I think a lot of entrepreneurs kind of have one or two of those moments where they feel like this is real, right? Yeah, I finally made it in some way. There's some sort of validation, maybe beyond you know, the, the sales or getting an investment, whatever it may be, that kind of reaffirms what I'm doing with the company. Yeah. And, and that's such a great story because everyone needs that, right? Yeah. Everyone needs kind of emotional boosts because it is a roller coaster and it is, you know, a series of up and downs, good and bad days. And, and you have to really connect with that mission. And, and let me say this, you know, our our prototype, our MVP wasn't pretty, right? It was, definitely, point, it was right? definitely the minimum, right? It was the minimum viable product. And so to have people sign up for that, I was like, okay, <laughs> these are people that really love me and support me for sure, because there was zero lipstick on the pig. It was just a, a pig and we wanted to see if it worked. Um, and um, one of the other things that we did is, you know, the, the, the few people that signed up early on, you know, I personally called them, texted them, checked in with them. Any feedback that we received, um, we made adjustments within 72 hours. And then we checked back in with them to make sure that they saw the adjustment and that was what they had hoped for. And so it was great. It was great to have people that you can make mistakes with um, be your first few customers. Oh, absolutely. And, and I think that's really key too is, Understanding that, you know, your who your ultimate customer may be, maybe may not necessarily be the first person you're dealing with, right? I think some founders make that leap a little too early, and that they're trying to get everything perfect for the perfect target customer, right? But taking a look at maybe who are some early adopters who will kind of go through the growing pains with us, offer the constructive feedback, and help us get to where we want to go is is often much more important, right? And, and much more absolutely. <laughs> How did you think about? kind of sourcing feedback from from early customers? And how did you know that your idea was really validated in the market? Were there, I don't know, certain metrics you were looking at? Or was there a certain moment where you said, okay, this is really, you know, we're getting some traction here in a way that we can build on? Yeah, I mean, 
once I knew that the the actual business model itself um, made sense, then I knew, okay, this is a winner. Whether we sell, you know, two people or a million people in the first, you know, year or two, this has merit to it. This is a real opportunity and people need what we're offering. Um, I knew that that was real. And so um, just talking to people, talking to those early adopters really helped us iterate. I mean, we're on probably our fourth iteration in the first nine months. So we spent, you know, 12 weeks in 2019 going through user um, assessments, talking to existing customers. We did a partnership with um, Flatiron here in Chicago um, to get students to do some validation work for us. Also getting some course credit for them, real world experience for them. Um, We worked with Springboard, um, which is another um, student program to do some additional validation work for us. So really, you know, Again, my background is sales and marketing and research and development, going back and constantly validating the adjustments that you're making along the way is helpful. Um, And using those types of free resources to do some of that legwork is fantastic because not only were they talking to people that were existing customers, they were talking to prospects that didn't know us. So they have no skin in the game and they can be completely honest. And they were. And that helps you get better. If you're only taking feedback from the people that love you, it's not going to propel you forward. You have to find people that don't know you. They don't know anything about your business or your product so that you can get honest feedback on how to move your business forward. Oh, for sure. Couldn't have said it better myself, Sherry. I mean, really, (laughs) the emotional support from the people who love you is great, but the progress comes from the constructive feedback, right? Right. No vested interest, have not been with you, have not necessarily bought into the mission, right? They're just there to really tell you what what works and what doesn't. And that's really where, you you know, that foot of progress. And I, and I would say for me, I I wasn't looking for a ton of sales last year. I was looking to, again, validate. I was looking to make the adjustments because the, the last thing you want to do as a new business is get in front of too many people too fast and you haven't done all the testing along the way. We just implemented a new trial. We launched it right after the first of the year. I didn't tell anyone about the trial. I I text cousins that had not signed up yet and said, hey, test out my new trial so I can make sure that it works. And they said, okay, and they signed up and they tested the trial one after the other and one gave me feedback. Oh, the receipt said that I had to pay. Okay, well, let's fix that. Maybe we fixed it. And then the next one, oh no, the receipt was fine. So everything I test before I get out in front of a huge group. And I think 2021 for us is going to be amazing because again, we spent all of 2020 validating and and doing the user research and and getting insights that now we're in a place where we can really um, pull the trigger. Well, certainly you built a really strong foundation and and you've done the testing and it does help if you have a big family who you can kind of rope in and do some of those tests, right? Yeah. Take advantage of some Pass up a free trial, like day free trial. Your card is not being billed. Go ahead and check out the platform. (laughs) If you don't, I'll remind you at the Christmas party. Yeah, you need to cancel, cancel by day 15, but you got two weeks to figure this out. (laughs) So, but no, but you, you, you touch on so many great factors there of, of testing, validating, understanding that the first version is not the perfect version or the final version. Right? No. 
a lot of entrepreneurs, myself included, have fallen into that trap of just wanting it to be so great from day one. And you just, you have to validate the core assumptions behind it. So I'm really glad you touched on that. One other point you touched on, Sherry, was, you know, being able to leverage the resources that are out there, right? And, yeah. you know, a small team, maybe even just a couple of co-founders at any given time, these early stage founder teams are looking for the best ways to maximize their resources, maximize their time, find ways to, you know, kind of make progress without necessarily bringing on a new employee or where it might be too early to do so, right? So, you know, you touched on, uh, you know, Flatiron School and, and some of these different resources. How did you go about, you know, finding those resources, connecting the, with them, and then ultimately, you know, kind of convincing them to work with you or, or being on the same page to work together towards making progress on Life Snapshot? Because I think that sort of operational leverage, as I like to call it, is one of the biggest things that early founders need to take advantage of. And how did you kind of approach that? Yeah. So um, let me just back up and say I'm a non-technical founder. So um, in the beginning, before I knew that tech accelerators existed um, or, you know, really had any idea how to go about this, I started to network with people, um, friends in the technology space that I knew of randomly. Um, and so I would ask them questions and um, try to get their understanding of, you know, what, who, how I should even think about approaching this. Um, and then I realized there are technology accelerators um, or even business accelerators out there that can help um, make some of those introductions. And so that's where I started. Um, as you mentioned and alluded to earlier, that's how we met. Um, and the benefit of many of those accelerators is some of these relationships that I've outlined. So um, I met uh, Flatiron through one of the accelerators. I met the Springboard team through a separate um, accelerator. Um, I met uh, a mentor through an AWS uh, networking event. And so beyond just accelerators, also networking opportunities. So like AWS has a great networking opportunity. They offer a four to six week mentorship opportunity, which also gives you credits for uh, moving forward with their platform if you decide to use them. Um, I have an AWS mentor that um, I was only supposed to meet with for six to eight weeks. We continue to meet to, you know, six months later um, because he's in the business. He signed up. He's a member um, and is on my advisory team at this point from a security perspective. So um, I think it's that type of, you know, really just getting in, you know, putting yourself out there to network in, a, in an environment that maybe isn't comfortable for you um, so that you can collaborate with others that are in a similar boat and really point you in the right direction. And being comfortable with being uncomfortable yes. is one of the more difficult pieces of being a founder, right? And that doesn't, it doesn't matter whether you come from a technical background or a business background whatever it may be, you have to put yourself out there because you are wearing so many hats and you have to, right? So, you know, I'm really glad you touched on the networking piece. And, and it's something that a lot of people aren't necessarily, you know, comfortable with and what's becoming an increasingly virtual world. And that was even before COVID, right? I'm sure maybe it'll be better now that people want to get back, see people in person, maybe head back to the office, right? Maybe that'll change a little bit, but Honestly, honestly, throughout the pandemic, it's made me more social. It's um, it's pushed me to try mastermind classes or online courses or online networking events um, so that I could engage with others. So I wouldn't even, you know, say that it 
you know, it has to be in person. I think if you are at a point where you want to move your business forward, you'll look for opportunities that might be virtual that will help you. Um, you know, Founders Network, for example, is a uh, networking group that I'm a part of and it costs, but it's it's definitely worth it. It's worth it for me. I was able to, we struggled um, as we wanted to transition um, our payment gateways and, you know, the development team couldn't seem to get the webhook to work and like all this stuff. And I put out a um, quick email to the, the network and within 10 minutes, like five people responded and gave me clear directions on it, exactly a step-by-step what should happen. And everyone's telling me the type of webhook and everyone's telling me exactly what needed to happen. I was able to have that conversation with the dev team and say, hey, what are we missing here? Try this, let's get it done. And we did. And so I think you have to look for, you know, opportunities in whether it's, you know, in a pandemic or out that are going to help you move your move the needle on your business. That's really just that investing in yourself, but also in in your network, right? Because as a founder, that's so key. And you, what's crazy is, Lee, from from my experience, and hopefully it's been the same for you, you kind of come across these moments where, you know, maybe you're able to take a call with someone or someone agrees to meet with you. And it ends up being such a a key step to moving your business forward in a a very concrete way. And in, you know, heading into the meeting, maybe you thought, oh, you know, I don't exactly know what's going to come out of this. I, I have hopes, but I don't fully know. Or, you know, maybe someone just makes a connection and just says, oh, I told them a little bit about your business and they'd love to learn more. And then that person becomes such a tremendous advocate for you or helps you with a piece of your tech development or, you know, makes another connection to an investor or another you know, startup you can partner with. And it's those kind of key moments that I think really define not only the whole life cycle of, of a startup, but really the early stages, right? Where it's kind of step by step and people are helping you along the way. And, and that's what been one of the most rewarding parts I've found. And um, I'm so glad you, you had that story about Founders Network because it's kind of those little moments that yeah. have a lot of progress that, that make it uh, a really worthwhile journey. I agree. And I mean, look at us. We met through uh, an accelerator and, you know, there were people, we weren't even in the same group, right? We weren't in the same class. You were ahead of me. Um, and, you know, some people didn't, you know, make it to the end. Some people made it to the end and aren't in business anymore. Um, but there are certain people that you connect with and, you know, the what they're doing and what you do and what you're doing um, seem to really resonate one, well with one another and it helps propel you forward. So um, I'm very grateful for the, you know, connections that I've been able to make and um, the great people that I've met that I feel like we're in this together. You know, I, I say all the time, the best way to move you forward is to build your tribe. Who's in your tribe? Who are the people that you can pick the phone and say, listen, I'm struggling in this area. I need your I need your thoughts. And they'll give it to you. That's what you want. And they give it to you in a constructive way. Right? In a constructive way. It's not just yeah. kind of feel good sugarcoat support, which is yes. really important as we talked about. So I know yeah. we've touched on accelerators quite a bit now, but maybe for people who are a little bit less familiar or are less yeah. familiar with the programs we went through, um, you know, they're an increasingly popular option. And, you know, they, they do, they're a great structure for kind of validating your business and providing some support, especially I think for first-time founders. Right? Yeah. They're kind of figuring out their way as they go. Um, you know, there's obviously upsides and downsides. Yeah. Uh, you've participated in a few different accelerator programs, um, obviously including the, the Founder Institute, which we were both a part of here in Chicago. But how have accelerators helped you develop Life Snapshot? And, and what did you think were some of the strongest 
um, you know, benefits that you got out of working with one of those types of programs? Yeah, you know, for me, it really has been um, the partnerships that they have. So as I mentioned earlier, you know, all of those resources that I mentioned that helped me um, do the validate, do some validation work and um, help us, you know, make some improvements on our UI UX. Those came from uh, connections through these, their um, partnership relationships. So, um, you know, and the savings. So one, for example, AWS, um, they offer up um, $10,000 uh, credits. If you move through their platform, you can't get that if you're not participating in an accelerator. Um, there was one that had just come up with um, Stripe. It's uh, 50,000, uh, for the first $50,000, they'll waive um, your fees if you're part of an accelerator. That's, you know, potentially $2,500 that you save because you went through an accelerator and you're able to, you know, use that resource. So for me, accelerators have been very helpful in some of the partnership relationships that they offer that you just don't even know that are out there um, in terms of moving your business forward. Um, and that's the resource side. I think the connections you make with some mentors, I think you have to walk in um, and know that, you know, everyone's opinion is different. You've got to, you know, my, my granny used to say, you know, eat the meat, spit out the bones. You got to take what you can um, that makes sense for you and be willing to push aside the things that maybe aren't necessarily 100% um, valuable for you. Um, so that would be my take on accelerators. Yeah, that's, a great, that's a great point is that not, they're not, they're a great structure, right? Yeah. But it's not necessarily, as we've talked about, all, you know, sugarcoating, right? You're going to get some honest feedback, but that's really where I think the value comes in, especially from the mentors who, or oftentimes investors, partners, uh, you know, former founders themselves who have kind of been through the startup grind, right? And yeah. Have, you know, have a, a little more review, uh, removed view to say, this might work, you might want to consider this. And sometimes that feedback is difficult to hear, especially when you've been working so hard to, you know, build a certain piece of your business or, you know, work on your, your business model, whatever it may be. But though that kind of feedback is really critical because even if, it's not ultimately the direction that you you need to or should take. It at least forces you to step back, pause, and consider you know what that would look like if you were to take that direction with your business, right? And I think that right. is almost as valuable as you know taking is actually executing you know the, the decision that you ultimately ultimately make. So I agree with that. I agree with that, and I think anyone that's considering an accelerator needs to walk in with thick skin. Right. They need to be prepared to listen to differing viewpoints, um, differing opinions on how you might want to consider, um, you know, moving your business forward. They may have a different recommendations on how you should structure your business. They might have different viewpoints on how you um, even want to price your business. And so come in with some level of validation so that you can make it very clear why you're doing what you're doing, but also be open to some suggestions and maybe test multiple models so that you can get to a place that makes sense for you. That's a great point. You definitely have to have that thick skin for sure yeah. because you're going to get a lot of different feedback and it can be very difficult to kind of filter through all those comments. Yeah. All the pieces that are helpful versus the ones that you know, the reality is maybe the, the mentor just isn't that familiar with that particular market or that right. model, whatever it may be. So that's, that's, that's exactly right. You're, you're bringing up an excellent point. Every mentor is not in your space. 
and they don't necessarily understand exactly how um, best to it, how it could function best. And so you have to recognize that you want to identify mentors that seem to really be that are willing to take the time to understand your business. That's number one. Um, but then once they understand it, are giving you advice that's sound based on the industry in which you're working in, not something that they've done before. It's it's similar, but not necessarily related. You want to find people that have done something in your space so that they are giving you sound advice and they can make introductions that hopefully benefit you going forward. No, that's a point. And kind of maintaining that ongoing relationship, right? And right. Um, you know, you've been through a couple different accelerator programs, Sherry. Have you felt that, and this is one I think people's concerned about before they join, before they're in it is that it's kind of a, maybe a four month thing or six month thing. And I'm giving up some equity in my company and then I'm not going to get the longer term benefits. Right. But has that been your experience or do you feel like you've really been able to kind of maintain those relationships and, and connectivity to those accelerator programs and mentors, you know, after you've, you've left and graduated from those programs? Yeah, I think it's a mixed bag, right? I think there have been some mentors that have been amazing and they're still in my network. And um, if I, you know, when I feel like I'm ready to have further conversations with them, I can, um, most of which are investors. And so, yeah, I, I feel like there's been some real significant progress. Several of the investor conversations that I had early on came from, you know, being in an accelerator. Um, I'm in an accelerator that, you know, ends next month. Um, we just went through demo week. And within 24 hours, I had a meeting set up with an investor because they were at demo week. So there's definitely value in, in opening doors that you might not potentially get to on your own. And I think anyone should, depending on where you are in your business, be open to the possibility and um, make sure that you're clear on what it is you want out of each accelerator. If you're an early stage that's still trying to validate your business and still trying to flush out the idea, then find an accelerator that's going to help advance you in that area. If you've gotten to a place where you've launched and you're in the market and you want an accelerator that's going to start to make investor introductions for you, which is what I'm doing, um, then that's where you want to uh, so focus your attention and, and have some support support behind you to do some of that for you. So it, it really is dependent on where you are. And I think it can be amazing depending on uh, what you're looking for. Coming into the program with intentionality, right? And, and understanding that, especially at the early stage, people are coming from so many different places. So with the Founder Institute, for example, you could come in as a company um, that was already established. You know, you kind of had your idea, maybe some validation, maybe some revenue already. Or you could come on, come in at really the idea stage and even come in with a few different ideas and have something that you ultimately narrow down to and then build a company from there. Um, and the priorities or the intentions of those founders at kind of both ends of the spectrum in coming into that type of program was very different. Some were looking for the mentorship and you know connections to investors, right? Because they already had revenue, they had a business model, et cetera. Others were just coming in to help with you know idea validation, starting to understand the overall startup ecosystem in Chicago right. uh, and coming at it from a much different angle. And ultimately, you know, whether they went through the program or not, left the program or graduated from the program at a very different place with very different expectations. Right. And so I think right. accelerated programs are great when you come in with intentionality and know what you want to get out of them because, um, you know, they're, they're fast paced. They're often demanding. There's a lot that goes on as, as you, right. know, and, right. you know, you have to fulfill those obligations. Right. right? 
There's a real commitment, right? There's a real commitment. There's, you know, not just an investment in terms of the financial investment that you're making up front by, you know, paying to participate, but then there's all the work that comes along with, you know, execution. And so you have to make sure that you're prepared for that. You're willing to carve out the time that's required to do that. Um, If you have a team that you're able to delegate some responsibilities to them so that this becomes, you know, really helpful for the organization, not just you as an individual, but helpful for the organization and is positioning you um, for longevity. That's a as well in that it's not it's not just about you as the solo person or solo founder, but ultimately how is this going to benefit your organization? And I think right. you know sometimes there's a certain credibility aspect that comes with going through an accelerator, right? Both you know externally and, and internally when you're trying to recruit team members, but it has to be you can't just do it for kind of the the street cred, right? Or, or the right. Bar, you have to really you know engage in the commitment and, and come in with with a certain intention. So absolutely. Mm-hmm. So I guess, you know, you've touched on AWS, you've touched on a few other resources. Was there anything else um, that you really found helpful in turning to for, I don't know, operational support, guidance, um, you know, financial support, whatever it may be as an early stage founder, any one or two particular resources kind of outside of the ones we've mentioned already that you think, you know, an early stage founder who's just getting started and is a little bit behind in the process from where you and I are um, would find particularly helpful? I don't know that there's anything else that I would say um, other than, you know, when you're first starting out, just make sure you have a clear plan on, you know, how you're going to invest in your business. You know, for me, um, I'm very proud to say that we're 100 um, percent self-funded, debt free um, because there was a strategy attached to um, how to you know pay for these development costs. And I think um, everyone needs to think about what it is you're trying to accomplish in what time frame, you know, what do you need to accomplish that? And then determine, you know, is this something that you'll be able to do independently um, or do you need investors? Um, and, and what does that look like? And so um, AWS does something that I absolutely love, which is they say, you know, write your press release. What do you want it to say in the next five years? 10 years and then go backwards and start to create craft the strategy that gets you there. So if your end strategy is a merger, an acquisition, a, a strategic partnership with, you know, a specific company, that's the headline that you want to see. What steps do you need to take to get there? So I absolutely love that. Um, and if any resource aside from the, the, the partnership things that are out there for startup founders, I would say um, that is a, a, a thinking um, strategy that I would recommend that people consider. That's advice, Sherry, and, and I think really, you know, just taken for practical experience, right? Yeah. Our own, and, and also from working with other founders and just our general networks, and, and specifically in accelerator yeah. programs too. That's that's terrific. Um, Want to finish up here with our, our very fun segment of our our three question grand finale. Um, okay. <laughs> questions are fun. Um, the first of first of which is. You know, what's really been your favorite moment working with with Life Snapshot thus far? Has there been one or two, you know, particular moments that really stand out to you as, you know, either you felt like you really made it or just something that really stood out to you as your favorite? 
Yeah, you know, I had um, done a TV segment with the List TV and they had me on and that was really exciting. And so that was my first uh, national uh, spotlight for the company. And I really enjoyed that team. They are amazing. Um, They air in 40% of the country. And so when I was on TV, I felt, you know, I got a text message from a, a colleague in Michigan who said, hey, I just saw you on TV. I was like, you did? Um, They didn't even tell me the segment had aired yet. And so I found out through text messaging. So that was great. It happened right um, before Thanksgiving. And I thought, oh, wow, that's exciting. So that's probably my fondest moment, just randomly finding out, you know, from a text message from a friend that they just saw me on TV. (laughs) I'm extra appreciative for you joining our show then because you're a national TV coming to our podcast. So thank you for for joining us. Absolutely. Absolutely. We're friends. You're in my tribe. So I can't say no. <laughs> I would appreciate that. So um, next question of the three question grand finale. In what ways do you feel like you personally grown through this experience of, of working with your company and, and building it and going through that whole roller coaster of being an early stage founder? Yeah, I mean, honestly, for me, I've grown in my ability to share my personal story, because as I mentioned earlier, it just isn't something that was comfortable for me. It wasn't natural for me. It felt like it's such a private thing. Um, It was very, very hard for me to Um, you know, do that. And so going through accelerators, having to pitch my company, being asked over and over and over again, like the why helped me um, overcome that. So um, that's my biggest growth is just the ability to now talk about my, you know, sister and what she meant to me without falling apart has been fantastic. Oh, I can imagine it. Yeah, we touched on it earlier. It's such a, a vulnerable place for you to be able to take that moment and or take that experience and transform it into something to help other people deal with similar feelings. I think is just, it's a tremendous mission and it's incredibly powerful and, and customers resonate with that. And I think you've really seen that through the, the traction you've had. So um, last question, what's the one thing that your company really needs to take that next big step or reach that next big milestone? And it could be you know, kind of capital, an introduction to a key hire, maybe a connection to a strategic partner, whatever it is, what's your one ask that our Founders Trust community here can can help assist you with to help, you know, Life Snapshot get to where you want to go? Yeah, no, I love that question. <laughs> That's my favorite one so far. Um, I mean, for us, I'm really looking for um, strategic partners in the financial services space that are willing to evaluate Life Snapshot. You know, our business model is B to B to C. Um, and so if we can, you know, find a strategic partner to introduce us to their customer base, um, that would be um, fantastic. So that's what we're working towards. That's what we, those are the types of conversations that we're having on a regular basis. So yeah, I would love uh, any, anyone that's interested, let me know. So. Absolutely. Thank you so much again for joining us today. It's been an awesome episode. I think really helpful and, and full of practical guidance for people who are just starting out, really wanting to understand what resources to look to, how to approach kind of being an early stage startup founder. So I can't thank you enough uh, for people who are interested in learning more about Life Snapshot, um, either for more information on the company, to introduce potential strategic partners, make an investment, et cetera. Please reach out to either Sherry or myself. Um, 
and you can use the email address, uh, founders trust podcast at markettrust.io. Um, or feel free to reach out to Sherry at life snapshot directly or through LinkedIn. Um, we will be airing all sorts of additional segments to help promote life snapshot. Sherry, thank you so much again. This has been a terrific segment and really looking forward to having you back on the show. If you're not too busy with national television, (laughs) come back on our show. We'd love to have you anytime. No, thank you so much. I appreciate the opportunity. Absolutely. Thanks again, everyone. We always conclude our episodes with a free giveaway to support the entrepreneurial community. We always conclude our episodes with a free giveaway to support the entrepreneurial community. Today, we're focusing on some terrific insights from Wit at Bad Unicorn, who specializes in bringing no-code products to market. His team used the following tech stack to bring a no-code mobile notification product to market in three days. So here it is. Card for website building and website hosting. Zapier for integrations among the different tools. Airtable for database and information storage, Namecheap for your domain name, and finally, Twilio for your SMS messaging. Put these tools together without a lot of technical effort, and you end up with a great product that you can take to market to test your core assumptions. This is really helpful for non-technical founders who may want to whip up a quick MVP to either test a product or maybe even a feature set. For more great tips on no-code development, Follow Wit on Twitter at Wit4TH and check out Bad Unicorn. Thanks for tuning in for today's episode.